right. Good morning, beloved. Good to see everyone here this morning. This time I'll invite you to open your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. As I mentioned this morning, we'll be finishing up this great little epistle and we'll be covering verses 7 to 18. Last week we started working through this section, so this is part 2 of our sermon, Paul's Faithful Friends. I'll start by reading the text for us, and then we'll look at the passage together. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. This is the reading of God's living and infallible word. The Apostle Paul writes, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information, for I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. There are the, they are, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have provided to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha in the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. In these final words to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul paints for us a picture that though he is a prisoner in Rome, um, he is not alone. Um, in fact, he is, has a full house of trusted friends that God has surrounded with him with and who have faithfully stood by his side, some for many years. And, you know, this is the kind of passage that we might be tempted to look at and just skip over because we don't have the faintest idea who this first guy's name is and we're not too sure it even really matters to us. But it does matter. For as 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so what you have here then is not just um, 
a list of men and, and places and things that you don't know about, but rather these are examples for us for what a faithful servant of the Lord should look like. These were faithful servants who were each committed to Paul's ministry and who were gifted with their own unique gifts and traits that the Apostle Paul used for the furtherance of the gospel. And when you spend a little time studying the book of Acts, which is the history of the church, the book of Ephesians, that is really the side book to Colossians. They were both written at the same time. And even the letter of Philemon, these are three parts of what's referred to as the prison epistles that Paul wrote while he was in prison. Um, you start to learn just how important these men were to Paul. They start to pop up in um, the later portions of Paul's letter as they themselves ministered to him also and really were a great source of encouragement to the imprisoned apostle. And in order to use them as an encouragement to the Colossians and to, the, and to all the churches that would read this letter, including us 2,000 years later, the apostle Paul tells us a little bit about them. And it adds really a very warm and personal touch to what has been a, a very doctrinal um, letter. And so what I want to do today is see if we can look at the remaining men in these verses, see who they are, um, why they were important, and really what we should learn from their lives. Um, now you'll see on the back of your bulletin, um, I broke our text up into four sections. Um, last week we covered point number one, the faithful friends that Paul sent. And this included friends Tychicus and Onesimus, who Paul is sending back to Colossae to deliver this epistle and others. And they were to update the church about all that was going on with Paul, um, when he was expected to return, and to encourage them as God was continuing to use him despite his chains. And then we began point number two, the faithful friends that comforted Paul. And this was a group of friends who stayed behind with Paul, who brought him great comfort. We met Aristarchus, the man with the sympathetic heart. He was described by Paul as my fellow prisoner. And then we met Mark, sometimes referred to as John Mark, the man with a surprising future, as his life was a testament of God's ability to still use people even after they had failed him before. In fact, Mark later received the privilege shared by only three men in all of history as he was commissioned by the Holy Spirit to write the Gospel of Mark. What a wonderful story of restoration, forgiveness, and of God's amazing grace. And that is where we left off. And so we're picking things back up in verse 11 as the next man Paul um, introduces to us is a man called Jesus who is called Justice. Notice him in verse 11. Paul writes, and also Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, so you're not confused, this is not Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was actually a very common name during this time, as it was the Greek form of Joshua. Joshua. But the interesting thing about Justice is, is we don't know anything about him. Everyone's looking. 
We're trying to train over there. It's very challenging. So, um, And if it wasn't for this verse on justice, we wouldn't even have known that he actually existed. All right? And, and from this, we can conclude that um, he was a behind-the-scenes supporter, that he was a man out of the spotlight. I mean, someone like this never stands behind the pulpit and preaches to a number of people. Someone like this never sings the, the solo. But someone like this is vitally important to the work of the kingdom of God because ministry is a team sport. And we all have a position to play on the team. And Justice played his position well, whatever that position was. And therefore... We don't need to know anything more about him, just that God knows that he was there. And Paul knows that he was there, and God used him in a powerful way. But you say, but how did God use him? Well, we do know by the end of the verse how God used him, and you can't even really put a price tag on his usefulness. Um, notice what it says about him. He says, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And here he's referring back to Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, as they were Paul's only Jewish fellow workers who faithfully stayed with Paul. But notice how he ends verse 11. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. You think that meant something to the Apostle Paul who spent all of those years in chains? Sure did. You know, Paul wasn't Superman. Paul was a man. In fact, he experienced times of discouragement just like anyone else would have. Read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 sometime. We're going to refer to it later on in, in this sermon. It's one of the saddest um, chapters to, to read other than the, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You get a glimpse into Paul's emotional life. I mean, he was deserted, battered, beaded. Sometimes he felt like he had received the death sentence. And to have someone like this in your ear is like putting wind into the ship, into the sail of a ship. It's like hitting the uh, nitrous button on a, on a race car. Uh, and it just propels you forward. The gift of a, uh, encouragement is an extraordinary gift. It's an extraordinary gift that every spiritual leader needs because he's always on the front lines of spiritual warfare. He's like the tallest tree in the forest, and Satan's going to go after him the hardest. And that was the Apostle Paul. He was being hit from every side. And so to have someone like Justice standing right next to you Paul, I'm with you. Shoulder to shoulder was an invaluable thing in Paul's life. And really, it was actually helping keep Paul going in the ministry and praise the Lord for people like this. As they just go through life encouraging those around them and perhaps no one more so than the one who's on the front line of spiritual battle who needs this kind of encouragement like the Apostle Paul. Now, this um, something that the vast crowds never got to see, but Paul knows about it. The Lord Jesus Christ knows about it. 
And there's a verse that I want to give to you, and I think it'll be an encouragement to every one of us here today. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. And listen to what the Lord Jesus said. He says, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Now in this context, when Jesus says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, he's referring to a humble disciple. As they're going from town to town, they're young, preaching the gospel, and what Jesus is saying is, if you come along one of my disciples, as they're going out and preaching the word of God, and you just come up beside them and you give them a, a refreshing cold cup of water, heaven sees that. And it will be remembered on the last day as you will be rewarded because you played a vital part in spreading the gospel by keeping God's servant going as he was preaching. And that's what Jesus means here. And so someone like Justice is exactly like this verse. It's giving a cup of cold water to Paul, saying, Paul, don't give up. Paul, keep being faithful to preaching God's word. Paul, God is using you. Paul, God's hand is upon you. God, Paul, I'm praying for you. And that's justice. That's justice. And that needs to be like all of us here today, encouraging those around us. A wife encouraging her husband. A husband encouraging her wife. Uh, leaders encouraging the flock. The flock encouraging its leaders. It's, it's north, south, east, west. It cuts in every direction. And so we all need someone like justice in our life, breathing that, that gust of encouragement into our soul. And so I'm going to call justice the man with a strong commitment. Because the fact that he was willing to leave his Jewish kindred behind and to go and encourage the Apostle Paul demonstrates his strong commitment to the Lord's work as he was willing to take a stand alongside Paul for Jesus Christ no matter the cost. And so that is what we learned from Justice. He was a man with a strong commitment. And we all need godly friends like Justice. Next, we see old, old friend Epaphras. And we'll call Epaphras the man with a single passion. He was a man whose single greatest passion was for the church of Jesus Christ. Notice it in verse 12, as Paul continues. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Now back in chapter 1 and verse 7, um, we met Epaphras. He was first mentioned there. There he was called our beloved fellow servant and faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And notice here, chapter 4, verse 12, it says Epaphras is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. It is believed, and, and rightfully so, that Epaphras was um, likely the pastor of the church of Colossae. And you say, well, then what is he doing in Rome if he was the pastor of the Colossian church? Because remember, he had come to Rome because false teachers had infiltrated the church of Colossae, and so Epaphras needed help. He needed to know, how do I attack this false doctrine and defend our faith? And so Epaphras, we saw it on the map last week, traveled over a thousand miles to Rome in order to seek Paul out for counsel. And that's what chapter 2 of Colossians was all about. It was all about the rebuttal of the false teaching, if you recall. And so now Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians in response to what Epaphras 
has told them. But he wants to stay a while, and he wants to spend some more time encouraging the Apostle Paul. And so Paul says he sends you his greetings, verse 12. And then listen to the rest of the verse. He's always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Verse 13, for I testify for him that he is a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now that's a true pastor's heart right there. He is deep concern for the people of God. And Paul says, I've witnessed him. I've witnessed him. Always laboring earnestly, verse 12, for you in his prayers. Now, I want to take a moment and, and look at this term in verse 12, laboring earnestly. If you have an ESV, it says always struggling. Uh, the NIV translates it wrestling. And these are all good translations. This is from the Greek word agonizai, and it's where our English word agonize comes from. It's used, for example, in Luke twenty-two forty-four, where it says, Jesus, being in anguish, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so laboring earnestly is the word to, to agonize. He was agonizing in this prolonged, intense, effectual, fervent prayer. And Paul says in the same way, a prophet is always laboring earnestly for you. And this is what prayer should be. Prayer is not simply just flipping up our, our thoughts to God. I don't know where we've gone off the track so, so far on that. It is agonizing, struggling, laboring earnestly. It is wrestling with God like, like Jacob and saying, I'm not going to let go until you, until you bless me, God. And we looked at that example of Luke with, with the woman that kept going to the judge and harassing the judge until he gave her justice. And, a, and Epaphras prayed like that. And I say, well, what is he praying for? The end of verse 12 tells us that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. That word perfect is the Greek word teleos, and it means complete or mature, you see. And the second term, fully assured, means persuaded. And so what he's praying for is that the believers back in Colossae would, would be, would stand mature in their faith that the truth is the truth and, and, and not having your minds messed up and, and taken away by these false teachers. He wants their doctrine to be mature and to be fully persuaded by the will of God. And every pastor in the world should have that same desire that his flock would be mature and convinced in their mind and assured that this is in fact the truth. And only when they're mature will they be fully assured. Because as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 14 through 15, talking about maturity, he says, We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ. And so Epaphras had one desire for them. I want to make them mature so that when they are tested, they'll be fully assured of the truth and these false teachers won't have any effect on them. And so Epaphras was always laboring earnestly for them in his prayers. And so 
We need friends in our lives who, who will pray for us. Uh, those are the kinds of friends that I want. I want praying friends. I want friends who do spiritual battle with me. I want friends who will pray for me because I need all the prayer that I can get. Well, Paul is another friend he wants to introduce to us. Notice him in verse 14. Luke. Luke, we know Luke. The beloved physician sends you his greetings. We'll call Luke a man with a specialized talent. By trade, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a Gentile believer, and he was actually a very, very close friend of the Apostle Paul and traveled frequently with him on, on many of his missionary voyages. It may, in fact, have been Paul's reoccurring Ill illness on his first missionary journey that we uh, see referenced um, in Galatians that, that prompted him to take Luke along. God must have thought he'd supply Paul with his own personal physician. Lord knows with all the beatings he went through and, and his unknown ailments that he could have used a personal doctor. How good is God? Now, you might be surprised to know that Luke wrote more words in the New Testament than any New Testament writer. Did you know that? He wrote more words than the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Uh, he wrote, of course, the Gospel of Luke, long gospel, and he also wrote the Book of Acts, another long book. He was a friend with a special talent, and he used his gift to help Paul all the way to the bitter end. In fact, he was such a dear friend to the Apostle Paul that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is, is writing back to, to Timothy, and he says, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Down in verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me. The Lord never abandoned him and, and Luke stayed with him. All else forsook Paul in the end. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is one of the saddest chapters to read in all of scripture. This is where Paul says, For I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul knew his time was near and he says, when I stood before Nero, no one came to stand by me. All my friends deserted me. In Paul's greatest time of need, all his friends forsook him. But he says, Luke was there. Luke stood with me. Good old Dr. Luke stayed with Paul all the way to the bitter end. And that's why we need a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our friend in our time of greatest need and throughout our life. So Luke was the man with a specialized talent. He stayed with Paul until the very end. He was truly a faithful friend. Well, that takes us to our third section. And this is a very short section, the unfaithful friend that loved the world. There is, there is one friend who is not faithful, and this is him. There's just a little mention of him there at the end of verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Demas is the last man in Paul's group photograph and is the one fly in the ointment. We'll call him the man with a sad future. The man with a sad future. He's mentioned only three times in Paul's letters. 
but in the three references, they tell a sad story. Though Demas was with Paul bodily, he was not with Paul spiritually. He was of a different spirit. In the first reference, in Philemon 24, Paul says, Demas, my fellow worker. And that's what Paul assumes he is, but he is not. He's mentioned here in Colossians 4.14, where Paul says, Luke sends you his greetings, and also Demas. And then we see him for the final time, as he's mentioned in Paul's final chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 again, in these final words written by Paul, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So note the progression. First, he was my fellow worker serving alongside with the Apostle Paul. Then it's just Demas greets you. Then it's Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. We don't know specifically why Demas deserted Paul, but we do know generally that it is because he loved the world. And the Bible says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So Demas loved the world. But the Bible says, the world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So, Demas is one of those friends who disappoint us. And I wanted to make that point again, as I did last week. Friends will, and often do, disappoint us. And you know something? They exist in everyone's ministry. Jesus, as just mentioned, had a Judas. Paul had his Demas. And we in the ministry have all had somebody who's left us, um, who has hurt us. It is sad. It cuts deep. Um, sometimes it's hard to understand. But what's the lesson? We keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't put all your stock into your friends. It's great to have trustworthy friends and, and someone who's going to come along and, and encourage you and serve the Lord with you, but if they fail you in some way or they, they let you down, don't let their shortcomings be a, a stumbling block towards the rest of the church body. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Listen, the church is never going to be perfect. It's a messy business. It's made up of imperfect people saved by God's grace. And so the likelihood of someone disappointing you at some point is pretty high the longer we go. And guess what? You probably hurt some people too along the way, right? But do you know who will never disappoint you, who will never let you down? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on him. And then lastly, there's a fourth category that we're going to look at. In verses 15 to 18. And these are the faithful friends that Paul commended. The faithful friends that Paul commended. Notice what it says in verse 15. Paul closes the letter by asking the Colossians to greet the brethren who are in nearby Laodicea for them, for him. So he says, uh, say hi to everyone in, in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. Now, the church in Nympha's house may have been the church at Laodicea, 
or that of Hierapolis. Um, in those days, churches often met in people's houses. It wasn't until sometime later, the, in the third century, that um, church buildings became prevalent. So he says, say hi to everybody. And when this letter is read, verse 16, among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And that's the way the early church did it. It's good insight into how these epistles were dealt with. The pastor of the church, as Paul said, would stand up in front of the congregation behind a pulpit, and he would read the letter and exposit the text to the congregation. There were no Bibles yet. And so the congregation listened, and, and one man preached the text, 1 Timothy 4.13. Paul instructs Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So that's the command. And, and, and then when the church was finished with the letter, they would make a copy of it, and then they would pass it on to the next closest church. In this case, it was La uh, Laodicea that was just about... Uh, well, it was under 10 miles away in the, in the um, Lycus Valley. And then Paul says, And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Now you might be wondering, what letter is he talking about coming from Laodicea? There's been a lot of debate over the identity of this Laodicean letter. Some believe it's a letter from the Laodiceans to Paul. Uh, others believe it's a missing epistle, a secret epistle that will show up at some point from Paul to the Laodiceans. I'll tell you what I believe it is. I believe it is the book of Ephesians. It is highly likely that the book of Ephesians was delivered to Laodicea um, when Tychicus delivered this epistle to the Colossians. And then after each church read their own epistle, they would switch. They were, they were sister epistles. That's what verse 16 says. When this letter is read among you, the book, letter of Colossians, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And as we'll actually learn about next week when we start our study in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians was a, um, a circular letter, meaning it was passed around to all the churches. So it's very likely saying when you're done, swap the letters so you'll get the full teaching that I've given you in these two letters. If you'll recall, we referenced Ephesians um, quite a few times in the study, specifically in chapter 3. They're almost identical, but they, they bounce. They have Some have extra information, and, um, and then Ephesians will have some extra information for you. So they were like sister letters that could be read together to get a full teaching on a certain topic as they had a lot in common with one another. And then in verse 17, we met Archippus, and we'll call him the man with a future ministry. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Now, to begin with, who is this? Well, he is only mentioned here and one other time in Philemon in verse 2. It is possible he is Philemon's son, but it is believed that he was the interim pastor in Colossae. Epaphras had, had gone from Colossae to Rome, right? He's with Paul. And so Archippus was possibly filling in in his absence. And Archippus seems like he's a little bit hesitant, maybe a, a little bit sheepish about taking over Epaphras' ministry. And so Paul tells him to take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord 
that you may fulfill it. Did you notice that the ministry he had been given to him is from the Lord? I believe that God gives us our ministries. He gives us our gifts, our abilities, and he alone gives us our calling. And so he gives the ministry. The second thing we see is our kickapus is commanded to take heed. And, and the word take heed means to, to keep watch over, to, 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 to discern, to perceive. And, and it's an imperative command to the ministry. And that means to the duty of serving the church and, and serving others. And then he says, which you have received in the Lord. This has come from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given to you this assignment. It is a stewardship that has come from Jesus Christ to you. And what he says is that you may fulfill it. The verb fulfill literally means fill to the full. It means to leave nothing undone. Complete it. Now, I want to make a very important point here. It's easy to start something. It's a different story. It's hard to finish it, isn't it? It's easy to start something. It's hard to finish. It doesn't matter how you start the race. It is how do you finish the race. It's easy to start a ministry. It's easy to sign up for whatever it is, leading a Bible study group, serving in the nursery, uh, visiting those who are in need. It's easy to... Sign your name and say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And to do it for a couple months. And then, you know, something comes up in your life and, and, and you just neglect finishing what, what it is that you, you signed up for. And you're just drawn away like just a little child to that, that new pretty little shiny toy over there. And you, and you get distracted. And you walk away from the thing that you started at first. We don't know exactly what the ministry was that was assigned to our Kikibus. But it, it was so important that Paul calls him out and has to tell him, son, you've got to fulfill it. You've got to finish it. Don't stop short of completing what you've said that you would do because the rest of us are counting on you. If God has entrusted you with a ministry, take heed to it. Keep watch over it. And, and then thirdly, fulfill it. Bring it to completion. Do what God has called you to do. And I take very seriously the commission that, that God has called me to, to, to preach and to teach his word. I'm very careful about how I go about studying the scriptures. And every single word that it is that I say that is under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to complete the ministry which I have received in the Lord that I may fulfill it. I want to keep preaching and doing what God has called me to do until God has called me home to heaven. Because when I get home, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. Listen, it, it all comes down to this. We, we've all been given a ministry. We've all been given a ministry. You might be a mother raising your children at home. Uh, your kids are the min your ministry. Pour into your kids. You might be a construction worker. Your, your ministry is your, your co-workers. You might be a widow, and, and uh, you've got nobody at home. So your ministry is you disciple a, a younger woman every Wednesday over coffee. Whatever your, your, your ministry is, you have received it, notice, in the Lord. It's a divine thing, and so you must fulfill it. Listen, Jesus has left us with very clear instructions. He said, go and disciple all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says, go and disciple the nations. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so whatever your area of ministry is, God expects you to go and fulfill it. And then in verse 18, Paul closes with a salutation. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He, he dictated most of his letters, it appears, so somebody else wrote them out, but, but he signed them at the end to, to personalize it, and so the church knew that they were from him, possibly, and he says, remember my imprisonment. Remember my imprisonment. He says, don't forget about me. I'm still in jail. Just because things are, are, are successful doesn't mean that it isn't hard. Remember to pray for me. We all need prayers. And then he closes the letter. Grace be with you. Amen. What does this say to us today? It says to me personally, Nick, you've just seen a portrait of some faithful godly men who each in their own way served the ministry. Are you doing your part? Are you doing your part? Look at the ministry that I have given to you. And you've just seen all these examples. Now fulfill your part that the kingdom may be advanced through you. And I hope it says that to all of you as well, as we all have our own ministry. That's the book of Colossians, another awesome book in our New Testament. Lord willing, we will begin the book of Ephesians the next Lord's Day. If you are in need of prayers today, you are welcome to come forward this morning as we stand and praise the Lord, Cornerstone.